Welcome to Global Data Pod Research Wrap. I'm Nora Santivani, and joining me today is Michael Hansen. Hey, Mike. Hey, Nora. How are you? I'm all good. I'm all good. So this is our regular uh, research wrap that we do once a month on uh, linked to our Global Inflation Monitor uh, publication, where we, uh, you know, discuss the main takeaways from the CPI reports, and then also talk a bit about the outlook for inflation and how central banks are receiving this information. Place to start, obviously, is kind of big picture of what we're seeing. Uh, we now have August CPI inflation. So what's the main takeaways in your view? Yeah, so in in August, the I think the, the main uh, point to get across is that headline CPI gains, uh, they picked up quite strongly. Um, mm -hmm. we, we got the strongest monthly rise since January, 0.5 on the month. And that was due to a big jump in energy prices. Um, but looking beyond that, uh, under the hood, core disinflation continued. So we see continued progress at the core level. Uh, core CPI gains held pretty steady, 0 to 8 on the month. And in annualized terms, if you look at the three-month momentum through August, you know, headline inflation accelerated to 4.5, but core continued to slow and we're down to something like 3.2. So um, yeah, beyond this energy price increase, things are looking uh, kind of encouraging for our view of continued core disinflation at this point. Yeah, I mean, energy prices are up, oil prices at least are up about 30% mm. since the end of, of June. Uh, obviously, a lot of that's shown through in the August numbers, as you said. What what do we think about the uh, the outlook for energy inflation going forward here? Yeah, so it, it feels like we have a bit further to go in terms of this uh, rise in the energy CPI. Um, you know, in July and August, we had something like 15% increase in oil, but then we got another 7-8% increase in September. And, you know, it takes maybe one or two months for that to kind of filter through into the, the energy CPI. So at this point through August, what we've seen is that uh, energy has turned from being a big drag on headline CPI to actually a, a significant lift. So we're now up something like 14% annualized in the three months uh, to August. And I think, as I said, in the near term, I think that can continue to accelerate. Now, uh, looking a bit further out, our commodity research team do have um, Brent crude drifting back down to $85 per barrel in the fourth quarter. So if that were to happen, then you know, by, by the end of the year, we should get a quite substantial slowing in energy inflation momentum. I think even if we stabilize here, we should really see the peak in terms of the three-month pace uh, by the next month or so. I was going to say, well, you might be saying something. There's two interesting wrinkles that I noticed um, on this energy front. One is that gasoline prices in the U.S. really haven't moved up that much uh, in recent months after a big jump in July. Uh, so we'll talk about some of the regional differences in more detail in a few minutes. But uh, I mean, that's kind of notable in the sense that it's, it's probably less of an impulse for the U.S. than is elsewhere. The other thing I happen to notice this morning is that natural gas prices are up even more in Europe. They got doubled. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we saw last year that was a source of concern. So uh, obviously something we want to keep an eye on. They're not at levels that look very concerning. Yeah, look, I, I think in, in terms of the the household electricity and um, natural gas stuff, uh, you know, a lot of that is is regulated. It's um, right. kind of very delayed and, and, and staggered in the way it, it, the TTF passes through to the energy CPI. And what we're actually seeing in Europe, um, especially in the UK and the Scandies, 
is that the energy CPI has bucked the global trend is actually falling at a double digit pace through August. So uh, quite a big divergence. So that's reflecting continued pass through from the earlier big drop in TTF. So that is still filtering through even at this point into the energy CPIs. Um, so, uh, you know, there are a couple of countries where, at least in the near term, it looks like the energy CPI is still providing some sort of disinflationary uh, impulse. But outside of Europe, it's it's very much up rather than down. Right, right. Maybe we finish out the uh, headline discussion with a, a brief uh, look at food. I guess food isn't doing as as exciting things as it's done in prior months. Yeah, like we had a bit of a scare on food in uh, June, July, when India food prices started surging and we were wondering to what extent that would broaden out to other countries, whether it was a sign of things to come. Um, I mean, encouragingly, we haven't seen that broaden out. So I think our initial reaction was the correct one, that it was quite a narrowly based increase in food prices within EM Asia, largely concentrated in rice, uh, you know, due to adverse uh, local weather conditions, monsoon, um, shortfall in India, typhoons in Korea. So at the global level in August, um, food inflation, the monthly gain uh, kind of eased back to 0.3 from 0.6 uh, in the previous month. And, and in the annualized rate, we're steady around 5%. So it doesn't look like we've had a further acceleration in food inflation here. Um, in August. And, you know, if, if the forward looking indicators are right, and by that, I mean, um, major traded agricultural commodity prices and what they've been doing over the past month or so, they, they've continued to fall. So the FAO food price index, which is a broad measure of global food prices that we, we like to look at, um, those fell 2.1% in August. And then they're tracking another two and a half percent fall in September. So um, actually, food prices are falling rather than rising. There are obviously some food products where prices are rising, but it's, as I said, it's quite narrowly based at this point. Um, El Nino, you know, still a risk, um, but so far little evidence of any meaningful impact on uh, fresh food prices. It's something where we're monitoring. I think unless that turns out to be severe, I would expect food inflation here to remain a kind of on this broad, stable to moderating path um, in, into the end of the year. Uh, we've still got this 30% fall in the FAO food index over the past sort of, you know, 12, 12 to 16 months or so. And that's still feeding through um, into lower right. food inflation in parts of the world. Our regular listeners will, will note that we've discussed uh, multiple cases, multiple instances, the risks around uh, the El Nino phenomenon, which does look like it's going to, you know, potentially be significant, whether it's severe enough to cause larger disruptions to food and raw material prices remains to be seen, as you point out. So uh, that's a great point to maybe pivot to discussion on core. Um, I guess we're actually getting, you know, despite what we're saying in energy prices, I think better news on the core front, right? Yeah, as I mentioned, uh, core inflation momentum uh, moderated further. We're down to about 3, 3.2%. A lot of the fall in core inflation in recent months has been uh, concentrated in core goods. So that's down close to 1%. So it's kind of closing in on its pre-pandemic norm. And, you know, that's helped by ongoing deflation in China export prices that are being mirrored in steep declines in trading partner import prices in the U.S. and your area. Um, you know, that said, I think in coming months, there's, I suppose, a chance that this quite sharp disinflation in core goods, the intensity of it starts to fade. 
Right. Um, and already in August, we saw core goods um, rose 0.2% on the month after being flat in July. And then outside of that, services inflation is also cooling. So that's quite encouraging. Uh, we've seen the weakest monthly gain, and I think in about two years, still elevated at about 4% on the annualized rate. But overall core inflation, you know, obviously a lot of it has to do with the falling core goods, but overall core inflation is actually now down to about 3%. Uh, as I mentioned, annualized both in DM and EM. And just over half of the countries that we look at in this report, core inflation momentum is actually now pretty close to central bank targets. I think in the US it's 2.4. You know, we've got Brazil about three, Czech, Czechia 2.3, Chile 2.2, all of EM Asia. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, it remains to be seen how much of this easing momentum can be sustained, right? And in the U.S. in particular, you've, you yourself have made the point that uh, we're likely to get a bit of a rebound in, in the fourth quarter, right? On the Yeah, yeah. And there's, a, there's a couple of factors not to belabor the point, but uh, as you point out, there are a number of things that have been very weak uh, in the third quarter. Uh, so the one that obviously really kind of jumps out is uh, vehicle prices, both new and used. Um, and so those were probably not going to continue to fall at, you know, four to six percent monthly uh, rates. But more importantly, with the uh, auto strike, you got a little bit of upside risk there from that as well, the auto worker strike. Um, and then also, as, as we fa we've uh, flagged in the past, there's a reset that's going to happen in terms of medical insurance costs. It's, there's been a bit of a change in the Bureau of Labor Statistics and how they're putting that number together going forward. So there's a little bit of uncertainty about what it's going to translate into. But it's been deflating at 4% rate a month on month. And that's going to likely shift to something more like plus a half or plus 1% for the next 12 months. So that's a meaningful shift. That's uh, itself several tenths on uh, core CPI in the U.S. So we are thinking that you know, a range of factors in terms of things that were particularly disinflationary in the third quarter, less disinflation in the fourth quarter, and then some other technical factors like uh, medical insurance. Uh, could very well result in a fourth quarter inflation rate that is uh, above the third quarter. Now, going into that, we're going to get the uh, August core PCE uh, on Friday in the U.S., the monthly print. And we are actually fairly below consensus on that number. We're looking for uh, a soft one-tenth. Uh, it barely rounds up to uh, one-tenth on the month. Uh, so through seven, if I'm mistaken, through seven, uh, which is below what the um, uh, consensus is looking for. You know, the differences between PC and, and CPI basically come down to things like uh, airfare, medical costs, um, some imputed prices like uh, financial services. And the Fed, of course, is targeting the PC and not the CPI, right? So what the PC does is, is important. It had been running a bit above CPI for a while uh, the last couple of months, which is, is unusual. Historically, CPI typically runs well above PCE. Um, the Fed last week updated their projections for the next several years, and they're looking for a, a fourth quarter or fourth quarter inflation rate uh, of 3.7%. To get that, you need to run about 0.33% per month. So that's a notable reacceleration. It's not impossible. And we talked about reasons to think that you might get uh, some upward pressure uh, in the fourth quarter. But it is, it is strong. It's certainly on the high side relative to our own or consensus forecasts. Yeah, it's interesting. So you mentioned this um, expected rebound in core CPI uh, momentum. That That's going to be quite a contrast to actually what we're expecting for the euro area. Now, the euro area core inflation has been 
you know, surprisingly sticky uh, up and up until now. We've been running at something about four percent pace annualized. Uh, now our year area team are now looking for that to start turning lower, and we're actually forecasting um, core inflation momentum to drop all the way below two percent in the next couple of months. So that's a big, big drop, and. You know, a lot of that has to do with um, some of these earlier distortions dropping out, you know, transport prices, CPI weights and whatnot. Over a year ago, core inflation, we have fallen pretty sharply to 4.5%. Uh, for September, we've got the flash later this week. Um, and as I mentioned, underlying inflation slipping um, to below three and then below two by the fourth quarter. Uh, so quite a big uh, sort of turnaround in the momentum and that would mark uh, an interesting divergence, I think, uh, relative to what you're highlighting. Uh, yeah, the UK US. as well, if I'm not mistaken, right? There's a big deceleration in the UK, although I guess yeah. the real risk, it seems there from the, the Bank of England perspective is the economy looks particularly weak. Uh, so quite frankly, it could be growth more than inflation that matters for the next move from the BOE. Yeah, exactly. So maybe that's a good segue, uh, Mike, into sort of how central banks are uh, receiving these uh, numbers. Uh, it sounds like from DM central banks, we're getting this sort of high for long message at this point, sort of resilient growth. Inflation does come down, but it doesn't come down all the way uh, to where they would like it to be. Right. Uh, so it's kind of putting this hawkish uh, spin on the on the rates outlook and uh, kind of high for long. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think um, a number of central banks are signaling that they may still have more rate hikes to do. So uh, we still think... Uh, Bank of Canada, potentially RBA, um, just took out the hikes to the BOE, but we still see significant risk there, right? And as I mentioned, you know, the Fed's forecasts suggest that they see a fair bit of stickiness. That's broadly true in the ECB staff forecast as well, that inflation comes down very slowly. So that is keeping central banks uh, kind of on the back foot. It's against a backdrop where labor markets still remain fairly tight across the, the DM as well. Unlike EM, the prospects for some near-term easing in the DM doesn't look that likely. We have most of the central banks not, you know, seriously likely to use until the second half of next year. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, EM, of course, at the same time has already started easing. And the question I think at this point is, could this combination of higher oil prices, high for long DM rates. Right. Strong dollar too, right? Stronger dollar. Exactly. Could that combination somehow short circuit these easing cycles? I mean, our, our view has been know that we, we think the easing cycles, especially from the central banks that have already started easing, right? They've started easing. That means they had a pretty good reason to start cutting. Uh, we expect them to stick with it. It could be that further down the line, we reassess the pace of cuts. Maybe the pace of cuts could slow down, especially if the dollar continues to appreciate. Um, I would say it's a pretty mixed bag overall with NEM. So we've got these central banks like Brazil and, and Chile and, and Hungary, um, you know, now Poland as well, um, continuing to, to cut. I think those will remain on track. If anything, within Central Eastern Europe, the bias is to front load uh, easing cycles. And, you know, some of those central banks like the Czech National Bank and NBH, we think could cut base rates already in the next couple of uh, months. And a lot of that has to do with the core disinflation that I mentioned before. The fact that on a three-month basis, their core inflation rates are getting very close to their target. Even the OI is still high, they're being quite encouraged by this fall in core inflation momentum. Um, they're also presumably concerned about weakening growth in Western Europe, right? So yes, correct. Yes, correct. They have seen GDP decline over the past year. So that's that's an important driver um, as well. 
Um, and then conversely, uh, within LATAM, you do have a couple of uh, central banks that are turning more hawkish, if anything. Mm -hmm. um, Bajico is one of them. So in Mexico, we've been highlighting this story of overheating and uh, expansive fiscal policy. And uh, Colombia is another one where we've uh, highlighted the stickiness in both inflation and infl inflation expectations. So they're on hold for a while. Like Bajico, we think well into next year. Um, so yeah, quite mixed bag within EM, but generally responding to differences in um, the degree of, of disinflation that, that we're kind of seeing, as well as the growth dynamics. So that's probably a good point to, to end uh, the podcast. Uh, thanks, Mike, for joining me. And thank you to our listeners.